Welcome to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast, where we explore the spirituality of the Christian child through the method of catechesis of the Good Shepherd. I am your host, Carrie Mecki Lozano. Today, we are going to be continuing our four-part book study. We are on chapter three, Practical Suggestions. And I have to say that I've really been enjoying doing this book study because I read this book when I did my first formation with level one, and it was a very busy time with this new work that I was just learning about. And so it didn't absorb as much. And so this time around rereading the book, I've really enjoyed letting it savor a little bit more inside of me, letting it take root. So I really appreciate doing this book study with you all. And I hope that you have been able to get as much out of the wisdom from these beautiful women as I have. So today we're doing chapter three, Practical Suggestions. This is written by Gianna Gobi. And it is exactly what it says. She is giving us beautiful practical suggestions of how to apply the methodology of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd within our lives and within our homes. At the very beginning of the chapter, she says, in this brief section, I will offer a few practical suggestions that will be of some assistance to parents as well as teachers and catechists concerning the child's religious development. And this chapter goes beautifully with the book she wrote, Listening to God with Children, especially the chapters on environment and the adult, which Diana Olson and I discussed way back in episode two. So this episode really parallels really well with that one. So I will put a link to that episode in our show notes. So if you want to re-listen to that episode, it goes beautifully hand in hand with this chapter three that we will be discussing. So we have Lynn Worthington with us today to dive into this chapter more. She is offering a lot of wisdom and a lot of experience with the method of catechesis of the Good Shepherd in regards to this chapter. Thank you all for joining us today. I hope you enjoy. Welcome, Lynn, to the podcast. We are very excited to have you here today. I am thrilled to be with you. Thank you, Carrie, for asking. Lynn, would you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in Catechesis of the Good Shepherd? Uh, yes, I can do that. I uh, began my formation as a catechist in 1991 after... Uh, pining in my heart for an opportunity to do so. I uh, was confirmed as a Catholic in 1980 when I was uh, pregnant with my first child. And I was so in love with my new home and the Catholic church I wanted for my children to have everything Catholic. Uh, but I didn't really know what that meant. And so uh, in an effort to get ahead of the curve, in 1983, when my son was born, I began to volunteer as a catechist for young children. It was actually our very first four-year-old class in our parish. And the book that they gave me was just nothing, really. I mean, it was nice, I guess, but anybody could have used it for any kind of formation. It, I am special, fish are special, dogs are special, God is special. And I, and I was just so disappointed. Even even the little children would say to me, aren't we supposed to learn about God? And I would say, I think so. And so I, I went to my DRE, uh, a dear friend and my catechist partner, Barbara Pick, and I said, uh, you know, like, is there nothing better 
And she said, well, no, not really. Uh, why don't you tell them Bible stories? Uh, which I knew Bible stories. I was raised a Baptist, so I, that's what I did. But still, it just it didn't seem enough until finally one day Barb gave me a copy of Religious Potential of the Child. And she said, I don't really know what this is, but I think it's what we're looking for. And sure enough, with every page that I read, uh, my heart was saying, yes, yes, this is what I want for my children. This is what I want for myself. At that time in the 80s, uh, the two ways that you could receive formation and catechesis of the Good Shepherd was to go to Rome or to go to Arizona with Marty O'Brien uh, for six weeks. And by this time, I had three little children, so this was absolutely not possible. Uh, and that's why I say I pined. Uh, but finally, then in 1991, the national course was offered at St. Mary's. And uh, I put my children in my car, drove them to Georgia, left them with my parents, and flew off to receive a life-changing work. Everything changed at that point. And from there, I uh, w went on to receive other levels of formation. And I worked as a catechist in a parish in uh, Durham, North Carolina for 24 years, both as a catechist in the parish and in the school. And then in 2015, my husband retired and he and I moved back to my hometown in, of Ball Ground, Georgia. And now I serve as a volunteer catechist in the Archdiocese of Atlanta. You know, something I really appreciate about stories like yours is that it helps me appreciate the access to formation that we have now and that so many of us, our home parishes or in some, a parish near us has formation that we can go to and um, it's more accessible than it was when you started. And it makes me really appreciate that when I hear your story. Well, it's we've definitely uh, made great progress. I realize it's still not easy in every area for catechists to receive formation. And I realize our formation process seems like uh, a lot. It is a lot, uh, but uh, but but it is. It just it's like growing with the children. It takes time, and to be able to have it uh, in a more accessible way helps that process. I think to be a healthier one. Mm -hmm. And it and it's just that it's formation. So it's a transformation of the heart, and that takes you, time. It takes it takes moments. Yes. Well. Today, you and I are going to be discussing chapter three of The Good Shepherd and the Child, A Joyful Journey. This one is called Practical Suggestions, and this one is written by Gianna Gobi. Lynn, would you tell us a little bit about who Gianna is? Uh, yes, Gianna was really in the partnership with Sofia Cavalletti, the Montessorian. She was born in Rome in 1919, and by the age of 20, uh, began her uh, Montessori formation as a teacher, Montessori teacher. Uh, I think it's also important to say she lived on a farm uh, near Rome, and she grew sunflowers. <laughs> and uh, I think it's she was in some ways really down to earth, and Sophia was of the theological Vatican world, and Jonna was of the farm world, and together uh, they brought this wonderful balance to the work. Uh, Jonna knew the child, Sophia knew the religious 
apart and together they made this beautiful work. Joanna was at her uh, certificate as a Montessorian was actually signed by Dr. Montessori, but her mm. training was with uh, Professor Adele Costanochi. And it was through Cosanochi that Gianna actually met Sophia. She also became an instructor for the assistance to infancy courses. Uh, and her Montessori fame, we might say, is that she developed something called the Gobi Mobile uh, for infants that is still used today. One of my favorite quotes about Gianna uh, that Sophia wrote after her death was this one, when she says, in every material I look at, I see Gianna's pencils and pens and also my saws. There is no material that was only her work or mine. I think one of the uh, things that's most striking about Gianna, and it really stands out in her work, uh, in all of her writing and, and her, her talks that we have, is her great humility and her great understanding of the importance of observation. Mm -hmm. uh, over and over and over, she, she points us to observe the life of the child and then to respond to what we see. And her book, Listening to God with Children, really is about that, about observing and responding and allowing the child to help us to know God. Mm -hmm. the, the text, Listening to God with Children, is one of our core texts and catechesis of the Good Shepherd. Sometimes when people ask me, what do I do? I use those very words of Gianna and say, I listen to God with children. Mm -hmm. And I find often people kind of their eyebrows go up and they go, what does that mean? And I say, well, then, that, then that's an opportunity. It's really kind of different than saying I'm a religious educator. Yeah. Uh, because I think that's how Gianna understood herself. She was an educator. Absolutely. She was an educator who understood her role as an adult. But she, first of all, was a listener and an observer. Mm -hmm. Such a humble stance. I love the partnership that Gianna and Sophia had. For those who are members of the United States Association of Catechistic Shepherd, this past November, our newsletter was dedicated to her for her 100th birthday. And there's a lot of really beautiful stories of people who knew her personally in that newsletter. And then there's also an article about the Gianna Mobile as well in that newsletter. So if anybody has a copy of that or wants a copy of that, um, they can go to the website. Well, Lynn, in this chapter, Practical Suggestions, what really stood out to you that Gianna wrote? Well, a couple of things really at the very beginning, when she talks about the word environment and about the uh, life support systems of the environment, she says, we as human beings are capable of, of adapting to every biological environment. Mm -hmm. uh, that's it's comforting to me and both uh, striking to recognize that as human beings, the environment doesn't have to be perfect, mm -hmm. uh, but that we as human beings adapt to the environment and the environment doesn't make us who we are. God makes us who we are. That little blueprint for who we are is inside of us, but the environment in so many ways enables us to become who we are. 
our interactions with environment uh, help to form our identity. Mm. And then the other thing that she says that, uh, that, that I think is very important for us is on the uh, section under support systems, she says, recall that the environment is composed of persons. Mm -hmm. You are the key component in your young child's support system. Mm -hmm. And that, for me, also... Uh, is both a responsibility and a joy to realize that uh, it is through our interactions that the child, we are part of that environment that helps the child to identify themselves, to develop themselves, to grow uh, really from the inside out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's in listening to God with children that Gianna talks about that if we make all this care for the environment, but don't also look at ourselves because we are part of the environment. If we don't also do internal work before encountering with the child, then we haven't prepared fully. And I think that that's really beautiful. Like you're saying that we have such an important role as the adults that are part of the environment, that are part of that, what forms the child, the environment that forms the child, um, that we constantly need to be looking into ourselves, praying, um, growing internally, healing, all of those things as well, so that as part of the environment, we can help form the child in the best possible way. Yes, absolutely. There's so much that could be said about the environment, especially in regards to the religious environment that we have at churches within the atria and everything. But I think that there's also a very special environment that we could talk about within the home. Back in episode, I think it was episode two, D Diana Olson and I talked about the religious environment a lot because we were talking about listening to God with children in the, in the chapter about the environment. But Lynn, let's talk about what Gianna speaks into the environment of the home and prayer spaces within the home and the order that the child craves within the home environment and how that can feed their religious potential and their spiritual souls as well. Yes. Uh, when she speaks about the religious context of the home, she makes some real very practical suggestions about how this might look, about having a little prayer table. But even before that, even when the child is still in a crib, she suggests that, that there should be a religious image of some sort and that the child's eyes would be drawn to as a way of sort of beginning to recognize that a part of this environment that is my home, mm -hmm. has a place for God, is a place for God. I think when we think about the child and the home uh, and the environment, I guess, even before we talk about religion, one of the things that I, uh, somebody, I don't know which formation leader, said to me when I was preparing the environment of the atrium, that when I thought I had everything ready, that I should get down on my knees hmm. and see the world from the position of the child. Hmm. And uh, I think that we have to do that in our home as well. We have to, to get down on our knees and see, does this place say to the child, you belong here? 
it shouldn't be a place that says only you belong here, that there should only be child-sized things. Everything shouldn't be like a Montessori classroom, but rather in the context of family life, that there is a place for the child and that there is a particular place in the home uh, that honors God. Mm -hmm. Uh, at the heart of the home. Jonna suggests that you might have a little prayer table or a shelf. She also suggests that you gather with the children there to pray and then you allow the children to actually take care of it. Uh, Maybe arrange flowers or set different cloth colors uh, for the different seasons. And all of these things echo in some way some of the things that we do in the atrium, but it it gives the child a place of belonging in the home as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. I also really love what she says about having the child watch and hear you perform sacred gestures, such mm. as the sign of the cross, such as saying uh, prayers of thanksgiving. It can't be just a kid thing. It has to be a child who sees an adult who prays, mm-hmm. an adult who reads the Bible, an adult who is, is generous and who gives thanks to God for that ability to be generous. Mm-hmm. So in the everyday life of the family, there are many opportunities for taking our awareness to a higher level and for giving the child an opportunity to join us. Yeah, if we only speak about our faith, if the children only see that we speak about our faith and never see us actually pray or actually read from the Bible, um, I, I don't feel like it's watering the seeds that we're trying to plant. But if a child, imagine like if a child were to see you on your knees at your bed or to, like you said, like Gianna says in this chapter, to slowly do the sign of the cross in a beautiful, reverent way. The message that the child is receiving from being in that environment around an adult who is pursuing their own faith as well. Yes, yes. And it says to the child that faith is not relegated to childhood. It's a lifelong relationship. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, we see, you know, precious moments, Bibles, children's videos. There are lots of things that people can use. And, and there's, it's not that there's something particularly wrong with those things. Only if that's all that the child sees, then the day will come when they say, well, I've outgrown that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. But if they see the adult reading religious books or watching a saint movie, an, an adult saint movie, or like how Gianna says of the adult blesses the child with the sign of the cross after you have finished a moment in which you have been caring for your child's physical needs. So if the if the child sees the adult participating in the spiritual life for their own sake, yes, what a gift it would be to their to their formation. Well, and what a gift it is to the adult mm-hmm. uh, to to be aware of this presence of God in the child. Uh, and, and just by the act of slowing down to do this, we become more aware. Uh, and children see that. They, they recognize your awe and wonder and your humility in those, in those very actions. Yeah, I think this is a call to us as the adults to really look inside of ourselves and ask, are we doing anything for ourselves in regards to our spiritual life? 
Yes. Or is our focus just to pass it on to our children or to make sure our children are getting X, Y, Z? Because like you said, I think that I agree. I think the children pick that up and notice if it is just about the child receiving or is it about a lifelong process for the adults? Are they seeing that it's a lifelong process? I think yes. that's kind of a self-check that we all need to do, including myself in that. Yes. One thing about the the prayer space in the home that Gianna talks about is the Bible. And I was thinking after reading this how sometimes I think a Bible can be put on a prayer table and not used. These beautiful white Bibles that are put on a beautiful stand and the beautiful put in a, a display or in a central location because it, it it is worth that. It has that reverence, but it's never opened. And the dust that is collected on the Bible and um, kind of like the untouchable, this is the passed down Bible from generations and how I so crave as a child, like are you saying, if I get down on my knees, I so want to touch the beautiful white Bible that is in this beautiful spot of reverence. And it makes me want to draw on towards it and how if the Bible is above my reach or it's too big for me to grab, how much more difficult it is for me to access, access that. But if it's down more where I can reach it or if I'm allowed to touch it, how then the Bible is accessible to me as the child. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, children, they almost crave reverence. They, they want, as you said, I want to touch it. I want mm. to touch it. Uh, and they can and will uh, reverence something, but it is not the object, but what's inside the object. You know, the Bible is beautiful, but it, those are the words of God. And so we highly recommend in Catechesis of the Good Shepherd that when we proclaim the word, we do so from the Bible. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a little three-year-old in my atrium this year who she was just barely three. In fact, she didn't turn three till November. And one of her favorite activities was to go to the prayer table after they had the children set the prayer table. She would just stand there and very, very carefully open the Bible and turn one page at a time and then just stroke her hand down the page. Now, she couldn't read a word. But she seemed to know and to understand that what was there was precious. And whenever I would get ready to read from the Word, even if it wasn't a lesson that she was necessarily coming for, she would come and stand beside me and just reach over and touch the Bible. So mm -hmm. you're right, that making sure that the child is invited to engage with the Bible is very important. And it's very easy to allow children to participate in the prayer space as well. And I think sometimes, at least for, for myself, I don't know if anybody would be able to relate to this, in different homes that we have lived in, I've gotten caught up in, and where should the prayer space be? What's the perfect table? What's the perfect cabinet to have those things in? But then I've kind of realized that it could be anywhere. It could be the floor. We could put the prayer cloth on the floor and the children can pick the Bible and the statues, prayer cards, whatever we have available to us and put it right there on the floor or on the kitchen table or on the coffee table, whatever we have. Um, I, I just know for myself that I've really gotten caught up in having the perfect prayer table, the perfect cabinet for everything at the perfect height. And it's actually stopped me from having a prayer table or stopped me from 
praying as a family because I haven't had that perfect things. And I've just realized since then that that's not the main purpose. It really, it really doesn't matter, does it? I'm glad that you've been able to see that. I recall a family once who we had talked about the importance of having a prayer table at home. And this family didn't have a lot of stuff. And so when the children came back, these were older children, and I asked them about their prayer table, they said, oh, yes, we use one of the moving boxes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they, they still had boxes around, and they just put, a, a I think it was a napkin, over the, the box, and that was their prayer, their prayer space. I love it. It's simple and beautiful and all that is necessary. Well, and children, that their imaginations and their their desire to be at home in the environment, they actually like creativity like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wonder if then the child feels like creating a prayer space is accessible to them because, you know, I can find a box and and a cloth and I can now create a prayer space in my room because that's something I'm capable of as a child. And in fact, I have heard many times from parents and from children that that is exactly what happens. I recall a, a, it was about a second grade boy once when we were talking about the maxim that says, go into your uh, your room and pray. And mm-hmm. he said, I, I made my space in my closet so I could close the door. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. <clears throat> Should we all do that? Man, I need to create space in my closet. <laughs> Well, Gianna, at the end of the chapter, she also talks about presenting materials to children. Do you have any wisdom, Lynn, for us about maybe how that would look in the home? Yes, I think that let us just use the prayer space for an example that we would first uh, want to begin with introducing what it is we're doing you know we're going to we're going to make this space in our home and and it's going to be for where a place where all of us can come to pray and let's see what are some of the things that we might have here and then maybe show uh, a cloth or the statue and also very carefully with the youngest children put the the item into their hands and help them to be aware of what it feels like. Uh, one of the things that we speak of a lot in our catechesis is orientation to reality. Mm-hmm. We want real wood, real glass, real marble. So if we have a, let's say, a glass or a ceramic figure of the Holy Mother, we want to place it very carefully into their hands and then take our hands away and give them a chance just to feel the weight of it? Is it cool? Is it smooth? To be aware of its reality and then very carefully show where it's going to be kept. If we're setting the table, we can show them carefully how to smooth out the cloth so that it's it's not all wrinkled or off kilter. Mm -hmm. The sense of order that we've talked about, children like to know what goes next, what goes next. By setting the Bible, we would again announce this is the word of God. It's very precious to us. We will be reading. We'll be listening to words from the Holy Bible. uh, And we want to keep it in a very precious place so that the items are not only briefly identified, but also made accessible. 
Mm -hmm. And then there's a fine line between freedom and chaos. <laughs> uh, Dr. Montessori felt strongly that freedom without discipline wasn't freedom at all. You are only truly free when you know how to make good choices. So we can give our children opportunities, let's say with the materials, with the prayer table, to work, uh, to set up the prayer table, to pray on their own. But they need that guidance that says, this is for this. This is for this. Mm -hmm. And then some boundaries. I mean, we don't want them then taking the Bible and throwing it like a football. You know, like, it, no, that's not freedom. The freedom is in knowing what the thing is, not all of its full meaning, but what it is and what we expect to do with it in our house. This is how we treat the Bible. This is how mm -hmm. we sit before the Word. And then when you open the Word with the child... It doesn't have to be this huge production either. It, just lighting a candle and reading a story. And then if you feel like God is calling you to ask some open-ended questions to meditate with the child, and maybe you answer those questions yourself and just continuing reflecting on them and prayerfully responding to them with your child. I actually highlighted, Carrie, on page 26, uh, in that first part after she says we gather the children, she says, we pose a question that perks interests and motivates a closer listening to the text. Mm -hmm. and, and I really love that idea. Uh, I'm not doing an introduction. I'm just wondering with the children, what does Jesus have to say to us today? And she uses the example of, what is the kingdom of God? Right. When he said the kingdom of God, what is that like? Mm -hmm. Just to kind of, yeah, just to perk those interests like, hmm, I wonder what it is like. I think this is another great example, too, of how uh, we position ourselves as co-listeners. That kind of opposing of a wonder question is not anticipated as an adult with a question and a child with an answer. It is both of us uh, listening together uh, to, to the word and to what it is that the word has to say. Yeah. And I think that goes back to what we were talking about earlier of the child watching the spiritual formation being a lifelong process. So if the child yes. is watching, you co-listen with them. They're, they see that it's not just something for children. It is something for all of us to receive. What a beautiful example. Yes. There's a part right at the very end of this chapter that I have highlighted because it's just, it's very beautiful. And I'll just read it out loud. Um, it's in the second to last paragraph. She's talking about the dignity of this activity. And above all, we can go forward on our journey with great confidence, because the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we could ask or imagine. I just, I love this because it goes back to the heart of what we are doing, that the Holy Spirit is the teacher, even at home. And what the Holy Spirit is going to accomplish in both the child and the adult it can accomplish abundantly far more than all we could ask or imagine. And it just kind of puts me back in that humble space that it's not up to me to, to get the child where he needs to be. It is, it's the Holy spirit who is guiding the child within both of us. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I I have a little story that I'd like to share really kind of as my closing thoughts. It is a reflection from a level one catechist. Uh, she wrote to me after our session, a couple of days after our session, to share something that happened at her home. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you mind if I shared it? Please, please. Okay. She first points out that our reports that her own daughter was is in her atrium and they're all new catechists. Everything is new. They're all just getting their feet wet, so to speak. And on this day, she had uh, tried to meditate with her uh, five-year-old daughter on the parable of the Good Shepherd. She was so very excited about this, about being able to do this with her daughter. And the daughter, more or less, didn't respond. Okay. Uh, she, she just was able to, you know, she listened and then she just went on about her business. She didn't work with it. She didn't ask questions. Her mother was so disappointed, but she said, because of what we had had thought about it concerning the Holy spirit, what you just said, she said, it doesn't depend on me. It depends on the spirit. The inner teacher will do his work. And so she just, you know, steeled herself for the disappointment and went on. But that afternoon at their house, she and her husband were coming down the hallway during what they call their family's quiet time on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And they noticed that their, their five-year-old daughter was kneeling at the prayer table. And they didn't interrupt her. They just kind of backed up and, and, and watched as they, as they could. And what they saw was that she was holding first the, their statue of the Good Shepherd. And then she would put that down. And then she would hold the statue of Mary. And then in the next little bit, they saw her get up and walk all around the house with the statue of the Good Shepherd and then come and put it back to the table. Hmm. And they were uh, pretty amazed at how long she did this. But later on that evening, the mom was reading stories as she she did with the children. They chose their books and she read them at night. And she was going to read one more. But her daughter said, no, no. I want you to read about Bo Peep, little Bo Peep. So the mother said she read little Bo Peep. And then the little girl got very, very quiet. And she said, little Bo Peep lost her sheep, but the good shepherd never does. (laughs) Uh, And what her, her final comments were how, uh, how happy and blessed she was to have eyes to see it. I can totally relate to this story of coming home, wanting to gift your children with everything that you just received in formation and it not being like you imagined, but the Holy Spirit is planting seeds. I love that story. That is so beautiful. Yes. It is. Well, if there if there is something in our catechesis that I think uh, I wish that everybody would embrace, it is that uh, that characteristic that says, open your eyes, Mm. open your eyes to the richness of the child and to the child's relationship with God. Mm. And the deep respect that is that that relationship deserves. I feel like after 10 years with this work, um, I am still such a baby and I'm still trying to rewire my brain to really 
embrace that message. It does change, though, the way you are, don't you think? Mm-hmm. It really I does. Mean, I, 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 I would say that, that this work and the Montessori approach that's uh, employed in this work has changed who I am as a mother, as a wife, uh, as a citizen of the world. There's mm-hmm. so many ways, not, not just my relationship with children, but by making my relationship with God more real and by making me more aware, it's changed everything. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. Well, um, as one final thing before we finish, I, for any of our listeners who do not have children in their home, I think it's important for us to remember that everything that we're talking about with the prayer space and um, spending the time with the word and meditating and continual formation, those aren't limited to when children are around watching us or doing them with children. I think that the child is showing us, even when we don't have children in our home, the value of these things. Yes. The value of the potentiality and the value of like the good shepherd and just holding his statue and those beautiful things. We can all let the children guide us in that way. Well, thank you so much, Lynn, for joining us today. We really appreciate you and your years of service to this work and to the kingdom and for sharing your wisdom today. It's been my pleasure, Carrie. God bless you and thank you for all you're doing for us. God bless you, Lynn. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Please don't forget to go and join the discussion on our Facebook page. We have some questions there for everybody to join in and tell us what you think about what you got out of the chapter and read what other people got out of the chapter. And let's just build community in that beautiful way. In two weeks, we will be discussing chapter four of The Good Shepherd and the Child Joyful Journey. This will be the final component that we will have on the podcast, but we strongly encourage everybody, discuss with your friends the rest of this book. Don't stop reading. There is so much beautiful wisdom that is within these pages. So make sure that you don't miss out. This podcast is sponsored by the United States Association of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. We want to thank all the contributing members of the association because you are making this podcast possible. If you want to know more about Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, or if you want to become a member, please go to cgsusa.org. Thank you for joining us. We will see you in two weeks for chapter four. Go and fall more deeply in love with God.